happy Father's Day to all of the dads. And it is true, God made each and every one of you who he's called you to be. Um, You know, I think it's interesting being a dad. And it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most awesome jobs in the world. Now, moms might want to argue about that a little bit today, who has the more awesome job. But I'm going to just speak for the guys here. I think being a dad is the most awesome job in the world. Now, there's some things, though, I can't seem to quite figure out. When it comes to being a dad and just kind of the way that things kind of flow here, you know, dads do do a lot of things. According to society, if you watch TV, they kind of make us out to be that, you know, we just don't do anything, and and uh, that's just not true. I believe that growing up, I remember helping uh, change the diapers for my kids when they were little. Uh, we stay up late at night when they're scared many times. Uh, pull slivers out of their feet. I remember my dad, used to, that was one of his big jobs. We had a lot of bark dust around us or tree bark, and we would get slivers, and he'd spend hours pulling those slivers out of my feet. Uh, the dads usually are the ones who bring the kids inside of the house when they fall asleep in the car. Uh, we coach their teams. We take them to uh, music and dance lessons and pick them up when they've stayed out late with their friends. Uh, we relearn calculus and physics um, to help kids with their homework. In fact, I believe that some dads and even moms here today, you know, you probably deserve at least half to three quarters of the credit for your kids getting through school. We go to work every day, sometimes even at jobs that we really don't like, just to make sure that the needs of our families are taken care of. And then we see it on TV. We see these athletes. We see these superstars. We, we see them posing for the camera. And what do they do? What do they say? They say, thanks, Mom. They say, thanks, Mom. They don't ever think about us dads. What a kind of a deal is that? Well, I want to say this today, because today is about dads. I want you to know, if you're a dad, that you are important, not only today, but every day. And God's desire for us, and this is what we want to talk about here today, God's desire for each and every one of us is that we would approach him as a father. God's desire for us is to approach him as a father. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, one of the most famous scriptures that's quoted that people that don't even go to church probably know, it's the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer starts like this. In this manner, therefore, pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, it's interesting that that is how Jesus taught us to approach God. That he wanted us to approach God not as master, not as ruler of the universe, even though he is all of those things. He didn't say come to him as king of kings and lord of lords. He said approach him as father. When you talk to God, call out to him like he's your father. In fact, Throughout Jesus' short time on earth, his three and a half years on earth during his earthly ministry, Jesus constantly referred to God as his father. He then shared later on, Paul wrote about in Romans, that those of us who have come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we have now been adopted by God and we are to call out to him and to cry out to him, Abba, Father. Now, I know that. When we talk about this subject, for some of us sitting in the room, this can be a hard day. This can be a difficult subject, especially for those maybe over the course of the last few years of your life. Maybe you've lost your dad. He's no longer with you, and he was a great figure in your life. I know that this can be a challenging day, and my heart goes out to you. 
It can be extremely difficult for others here when we talk about the concepts of the father, God the father. If you maybe grew up and your dad wasn't that great, maybe you had a terrible dad. I hate to say that, but in your mind, maybe your dad wasn't very good. It, it can be hard to talk about the father. Or maybe you don't feel today as a father. You're, you're sitting here in, in this gathering together with all these people. And if people really knew how, what you f- thought about your own p- fathering abilities and you were grading yourself, you'd say, you know what, I don't know if I've really done a very good job. Well, here's what my heart is and I believe God's heart is for you today, is that I want to encourage you. I want to see you, dads, I want to see you blessed today. And I want you to know this, that, that, that God wants to encourage you and inspire you because God has a big heart for you and for every one of us who are here today. That's one thing I know about most fathers is they have big hearts. We want good things for our kids. We, we know that. When there isn't any one of us that doesn't want to see our kids blessed. But here's what I want you to know is God has even bigger things for you. And when we talk about God the Father's heart towards us, we need to know some things. First of all, if you're here today, you are forgiven. God forgives those who come to him, who ask him to forgive them. You don't need to carry shame or guilt if you have gone to the Father. You are loved, and I say this. When God's kingdom, you couldn't be loved anymore. God loves you. He is so enthralled with your life. He just cares about you. You have a hope and a future through God our Father. You know, your past does not need to determine your future. Can I hear an amen for that? And his heart and his arms are, are, are open wide to each and every one of us. His arms are open to you. In fact, he just, if he could, spiritually, he wants to embrace you. I know for me that one of the greatest things about my children is when, especially when they were little, and when I'd get home from work, you know, now that they've become teenagers, they sometimes acknowledge my presence. Hey, guys, how's it going? <laughs> But there was a time, and I remember those times, and if you're in this season of life where you've got younger kids, I I remember when it used to be when I I would walk in the door, it would be like, Daddy, 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 Daddy. It's awesome. You know, you you come in, and I don't care how discouraged you are, that happens, you're encouraged. They would squeal with delight. Then they would come, and they would just wrap their arms around me and squeeze me so tight. And you would kind of, I'd kind of shake him a little bit and just like, oh, I love you too. You know, when it comes to us, I believe that's how God's attitude, his heart is towards us. His arms are just wide open. And God's desire is that we would understand and know his great and amazing love for us. One of the most fascinating stories in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. Or it's about a son who literally ran away from home, who, who went to live his own life. He, he, he totally rejected his family. It's one of my most favorite stories in the Bible. In fact, I could probably do a series of 10 messages just on the prodigal son because there's so much stuff in there. And we, 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 when we read about that story, it's a representation of the amazing love God, our Heavenly Father, has towards each of us. It is God's heart towards us. And so today I want to 
spend a few moments in this story, and I want to talk about a few things when it comes to our Heavenly Father, because here's what I believe. God, first of all, wants each and every one of us to understand how much he loves us on Father's Day. The Father wants you to know you are loved. And secondly, God wants to put his heart inside of us. Not only do do we need to know that God the Father is for us, but God the Father wants us to have a father's heart towards other people. And I'm gonna talk about this a little bit later, but here's where we pick up the story. In Luke chapter 15, in verse 11, it starts there, and I'm gonna read out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The youngest one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I want to pause there just for a moment. The youngest son. Again, we look at this whole story, and I know I've shared this in the last six months, a message about the prodigal, but this is a different angle I want to take today. Now, we know this part, that the youngest son did something very crazy. He asked for his inheritance before his father had died. That's just not normal. That's not how things usually work. You usually get things after the person has uh, gone to be with Jesus. But the second thing that you have to understand, because Jesus was speaking primarily when this story was being told to uh, uh, the Jewish nation, to the Israelites. And the second thing about the way that things worked was the, 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 the youngest son usually would not have been the favored son. It's always the firstborn. The firstborn son would have been the one who would have got the majority of the inheritance. And so the fact that this story focuses on the younger son shows you that there's something that that God is really wanting us to understand. And so what happens to him? Well, he gets his inheritance. His father gives it to him. And what does he do? He squanders it. He wastes it. I mean, the Bible talks about that he ends up spending his time with prostitutes and other wild company. He's out drinking. I believe he was just going, living it up. He was having the, the party life. He was, he was going crazy with people and friends. He was going from one party to the next, probably drugs, alcohol, whatever he, he could get his hands on. He did that until finally he ran out of money. He squandered everything. He had spent and ruined his inheritance. Now, we know that when he did this, that he moved away. It says that he was in another country, and he ends up, he ends up in a farmer's pig pen feeding pigs. And he gets so hungry and desperate that he wants to eat the pig's food. Now, I, 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 I want to say this. He could not have been any farther, he could not have been any farther away from what his core values were. He could not have been any farther away from, in their opinion, when Jesus was teaching them, he could not have gotten any farther away from God than where he was living at that point. 
Jesus paints this extreme picture that he's in another country in a pig pen wanting to eat pig food, that would be the most disgusting thing that a Jewish person could ever think about doing. It's unclean. It was, they, they despised pork. They despised pigs. And here he was, he was rolling with them. He smelled like them. And so he would have been an outcast from family and society who was both unlovable and unforgivable. Nobody would even think of associating with him, regardless of even his family connections. You would not and did not in that time recover from those life choices. You were done. You would have been shamed and completely cut off. And we know that Jesus, one of the things that happened to him when he was on earth was that he was judged very severely for the people that he associated with, that when he was eating and and dining with tax collectors and and, and prostitutes and hanging out with them and other sinners, that the, the religious people, and it's not just the religious people, the culture of his day was you don't do that. You don't hang out with those people. They're wicked, they're awful, they're unredeemable. You see, that was the mindset. There was no such thought of love and forgiveness. It was based on who you associated with, who you love. It it, it was a a bad thing. And so Jesus is telling this story. And and yes, the son's choices, we have to understand this, they were detestable. (laughs) He lived a bad life. He was dirty, filthy, both inside and out. And the gulf was so wide that he was separated from love and acceptance and relationships. And I say this today, maybe somebody's here, maybe some of you are here today, and, and you're, you're just feeling like in your life, when you, when, when you think about God, you just feel like there's this big distance between you and him. Like it just can't be bridged. And I want you to know today that that's not true Because what happened next was unexpected and amazing at the same time. You see, the story goes on to say that when the young son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, when he was still way away from his home and his father saw him, he was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Again, kissed him when he smelled like a stinky pig. The son said to Him, Father, because he'd rehearsed this, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Wow, what happened here was extreme. What what God was doing was so extreme, it would have blown everybody in the audience's mind. (laughs) No way. You see, even the son saying to himself, 
there's just a sliver of hope, maybe a little bit of hope that my dad will let me become a servant. I, 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 he won't ever accept me as a son. There's just a sliver of hope. Do you realize that that would have been a huge leap for his family to even accept him as a servant with all the things that he did? And yet, it was even bigger than that. I remember many years ago when I was starting to realize that maybe Jan was the one for me. That I thought maybe I needed to pursue it and go a little bit farther. I grew up in around Portland, Oregon, and, and it was about 1,400 kilometers away. And I remember making a decision. We decided I was going to come up and visit Calgary for the first time. And I got in my car, uh, Delta, Oldsmobile Delta 88, the year was 1979, this car was big, it was blue, it was crazy. Whenever you went to a gas station in my car, you had to put in a liter of oil and a liter of transmission fluid because it, was, it wasn't running very good. And I remember making that decision to take that trip. You know, I, had, I did my best to get directions, but this was before internet was really prevalent. You couldn't just go online and look up where you were going, and so... You know, I had to get a road atlas that was like four or five years old, and it was big, and I carried it with me. And, and of course, so in over five years, who here knows that roads change? And I remember driving to Calgary and going here, and my parents thought I was crazy. They thought I had lost my mind. And I had, I'd lost my mind because I was in love with her, and I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. I was willing to be a little bit extreme. I say this, God's love is very extreme towards you and I. And in swallowing his pride, he ends up heading home. But what happens in hoping to be a servant and what happens is incredibly amazing. It says that when he saw his son in the distance, when he saw his son heading towards home, what did the father do? It says that the father ran to him embraced him, put his arms around him, kissed him. His heart melts because his lost son had found his way home. And he ends up throwing the biggest party that family had ever seen. It was a party above parties. The son just was like, what? What has happened here? You see, God is hard as this, that he embraces us when we come to him, when we move towards him, when we say, God, we, we want to be with you. When we, he celebrates when we return to him or turn to him. Whenever people say, you know what, God, I, I, I want you to be a part of my life. I want to be with you. He, he embraces us. He celebrates us. Why? Because he believes in you. He forgives you. He celebrates you because that's what's in his heart. But today I don't want to stop there. I could, I could preach a message just only on how much God loves us, and he does, and it's the foundation, and it's important that we understand that. But I also want us to know that God wants us to take this to another level, that he wants his heart to be our heart. My wife was a nurse for very many years. That's what her training was. She was a, an RN. And one of the things that she always had with her was her stethoscope. You know, it wasn't only about needles. A lot of people think that nurses shots, uh, but it was also the stethoscope. 
And you know, the stethoscope is an amazing instrument because it allows you to hear, you know, things like the rumbling of people's tummies, breathing, and most importantly, the heartbeat. It was fun as our kids were growing up to see them as Dan, uh, Jan introduced the stethoscope to them. They put it in their ears and we'd put the thing on their heart and they'd be like, wow, bump, 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 bump. Of course, then one of them would grab it and yell in it and the other one would, you know, they have to pull their ears off of it because it was painful. But here's what I want us to understand, that God wants our heart to be his heart. He wants our heart to beat like his heart. He wants to put his heart inside of us. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verses 26 to 27, it says this, Ezekiel is prophesying by the Holy Spirit. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You know, when God, we talk about God impacting our heart. And because really today, the point of my message is God wants to put the Father's heart inside of each of us. He wants us to have his heart. Now, when we look at the world around us, and I'm going to talk about this because it's Father's Day. When we, we look to men, what is it on television and in movies that the men that are celebrated, what kind of guys are these? Well, they're usually just strong, lone ranger guys. You know, they're going to be the superhero that can go through bullets and fire, and, and you know, nothing affects them. They're, 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 it's like they're bulletproof. And when you look at that, you see this hardness. And so the world says, you know, that, that really strong men, they, they, they don't really live by their feelings or their emotions. And maybe some of you, your, your, your dad, who, it's the training that he gave you is, you know, you know, you're just supposed to be tough, especially as boys. Boys don't cry. Come on. And so we see in society that those with a heart of stone and with, actually I say this, with weak character that go around and, you know, womanizing and, fr- you know, all of that kind of stuff. Those, those are the people that get celebrated. But God has a different desire for men. He's looking for those that will have a tender heart, and, but with a strong character. That our character would be strong and our heart would be tender. And so Ezekiel's prophesying, he's actually prophesying over the heart of the, the nation of Israel at this time who had fallen away from God because of the hardness of their heart. And he's saying, look, God wants to change your heart. He wants to give you a heart of flesh or a, a soft heart so that you'll want to follow him. You'll want to obey him. I believe this today that God's saying, I want to put inside of each person that's here today just a a softer heart. But sometimes we might need to allow God to change our heart. We might have to allow our heart to be transplanted where he takes our heart and its weaknesses and its challenges and its stubbornness and he says, I'm gonna put my heart inside of you. We have to be willing to allow ourselves to be changed, to be like him. You know what, it's up to you today. What kind of heart you're going to have. I've been saying it's our responsibility to allow God to work in our heart. So what does God's heart inside of us look like? How do we know if we've got God's heart? Well, I'm going to give you three things that we're going to finish with here today. First of all, when we have God's heart, 
one of the things that will be a sign of that is, is believing anything is possible. Anything is possible. It's a heart of faith. I want to encourage you in your faith today. Now, God has a heart for people because he loves people, and he wants us to have a faith that we believe in what God can do in other people's lives, not just our own. A faith to believe that people can change. You know, I hear many times people make statements, and this is a sign of people's hearts. They make statements like, that person will never change, or that's just the way that they are. Do you understand that when we make statements like that, we are contradicting God's plan and purpose for people's lives? Because that's not what his heart is towards each and one of us. We put ourselves actually in opposition to the gospel message. Because the gospel is all about change and transformation, that Jesus came down from heaven to earth, that he died on a cross so that your and my life could be changed and transformed. Who here is happy today that God has changed your life, that Jesus has done something in your life? So when we say that people around us, and sometimes it's a, you look at people that struggle with things, and you can kind of go, well, the, the, well, that's just who they are. And people sometimes in, their, in, in our, their groups, we can make judgments about people that aren't God's judgments. You see, God is into the people-changing business. He transforms hearts. He can change wrong attitudes. And he can renovate people's character. With Jesus' help, people can change. Let me give you some ideas. This can put where the rubber meets the road. Marriages, I say this, if your marriage isn't what you want it to be, marriages can be great again because God's heart is like that. Unchurched friends can become Jesus' followers. A relationship, a strained relationship with your parent can be healed. Well, I'm going to hit another one. Your small group leader can become a better leader. They can mature. They can change. You see, sometimes we put people in these boxes about who they are and what they can do, and that's not what God's desire is for them. And he wants us to have an attitude of faith. We need to believe that God can change people and that he wants to change people because if God can change you, he can change others and he will change others. I remember praying for my dad to become a a follower of Jesus for over 10 years when I was in high school and as a young adult. Everybody around me at times would kind of give up. They'd say, it's impossible. Look at your dad. Look at the way that he lives. And one day when I was 21 years old, my dad made a decision to follow Jesus. He changed his heart. You see, it takes faith and requires a father's heart. The second thing that I believe is a sign that God's heart is inside of us is that we give abounding grace to everyone. Now, I know some people can get nervous, like the grace message is blown up where it doesn't matter what you do and how you live. It, and, and, and I'm here to tell you that today that God's desire is that he wants to help us live for him, that grace is actually, that is, forgiveness is part of it, but his desire for us is to help us become more like Jesus, his son. But in order for that to happen, we are not the judge and jury on where people are at. We need to have a heart of forgiveness towards people. Forgiveness or forgiving people should not be a special moment in our life. Wow. 
look what I did. I forgave them. Like we should get an award because we offered forgiveness, that we, uh, the scepter of grace was, yes, thank you that you did that, brother or sister. We should not be stingy in offering forgiveness to other people. Can I hear an amen to that? Because I, I believe this is something God wants all of us to get. We should be willing to give second chances, third chances, fourth chances, 50th chances, 100th chances to people. When we limit giving forgiveness, listen to this. When we limit forgiving people, we limit Jesus working in our lives. We only hurt ourselves. We should give what has been freely given to us and what we have so easily give ourselves. You know, I, I hope today that you do forgive yourself when you make mistakes. I know I struggled with that for a large part of my life. Because we have to ask ourselves, how many times has God forgiven you? Who here could count it today if you, you could go back in history and say, you know what, I think the number is such. I don't think anybody could do it. It's probably immeasurable, isn't it? It's probably, you know, it's like the sand on the seashore. It's like the stars in heaven that, 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 you, you, that God knows them all by name, but there's no way you and I could know them. What if God was keeping count? What if he was like, you know what? I, I thought about this. You get three forgiveness tickets that you can use in your whole life. So use them wisely. Kind of like the three wishes that the, you rub the genie's bottle and you get three wishes. But you know, sometimes when it, the way that we look at other people is that's kind of how we, we measure out forgiveness to other people. I'll forgive you once, but you better not do it again. Am I speaking the truth? We're, 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 we can be stingy like we've got these, these tickets. And I'm saying, I, I'm so thankful today that that is not the way that God has judged me. I'm thankful that's not the way that God judges you. You see in Matthew 18, verse 22, it's where Jesus talked to his disciples and they were, thought they were being really spiritual and they said, how many times should we forgive people? Like seven times. They thought they were being really spiritual. And Jesus said, well, how about 70 times seven? Mind blown, fall down. Yeah, I was, because what he was really saying is don't keep track. Forgive. Because see, Jesus makes all things new. He gives us fresh eyes. He looks at us. You know, every time you come to God, this is what, what, what you have to understand is that when God looks at you and you said, hey, Father, would you forgive me? Do you know that the Bible says that he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more? And you go to him and you're, because see, the problem isn't with God. The problem is that we remember things. We, we remember what we did, but God literally says that he doesn't remember. And so you go to him, you're like, oh, you know, the third day that you said, you know, I'm really sorry that I said that about somebody. He's like, what are you talking about? It's like he has amnesia because he, he chooses to forget. He throws it away. And his desire for us is that we would give that type of grace, abounding grace to other people. 
What would happen if every time somebody came to us looking for forgiveness, we forgave them, and we actually said something like this, you know what, and I believe in you, I believe in you. Boy, that would be a, a change. I know that God's been working this out in my life. It's transformational if you grab this. And you need to say, you need to keep this in mind. When it comes to us, when it comes to our own life, there's nothing too great or difficult to forgive with the help of the Holy Spirit, with Jesus' help. The Father's heart inside of us is forgiving. Here's my last point. One of the ways that we can measure if we have the Father's heart in us is that we see the good future Jesus has for people. A transformed heart loves people, all people. God holds individuals and people in very high value. Because, and we need to understand that it's very important that we see people the way that God sees people. You know, we are the most incredible creation that he ever made. We were made in the image of God. And so therefore, there is a high value, a high price to, to how, we, how he sees each person on the planet. He sees human be- beings. We need to watch this. And, and the reason this is important, we need to make sure that we do not devalue other people. I say this. We all know this. Who here thinks babies are cute? You know, they're really cute. They're awesome. They're wonderful. We, 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 no matter how fussy they get, no matter how messy they get, we're, we're, we're like, you know what? Babies, they're awesome. We think kids are amazing too. They have potential. Now, sometimes we maybe get a little more frustrated with our kids. You know, we kind of are like, hey, don't do that. I brought you into this world. I can take you out of the world if I want to. But I do love you. But what about those who have offended us or hurt us? What what value do we place on those people? Those who criticize you, those who have maybe even, you know, said things about you that they shouldn't say. What kind of value do they have? Does their value diminish? Oh, pastor, that's a trick question, isn't it? A lot of times in our heart, we can all of a sudden get to this place where because of what people have said about us or done to us, that we begin to devalue them and we just basically write them off. I, I remember a few years ago, I had a car that on my birthday, I've, I've shared the story about how a tree branch when I was 19 years old came out of the tree, smashed my car, crushed the roof. It was like a movie made for movie television thing, just shattered it getting ready to go to college classes. My car was totaled. It was a write-off. It had now had, it, 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 the, the value of repairing the car was way more than it was worth. So it was written off. And, and, and one of the things that I see in, in the, that we need to understand is that when it comes to God and his kingdom, that in the Father's house, I want you to hear this, there are no write-offs. There aren't any people that God all of a sudden says, no, you're done. I, you're written. I, I, I don't have any use for you. Now we know that he calls those and people do die without knowing him and all this stuff, but his heart isn't that people are written off. 
And I think one of the things that we've got to make sure that we don't do is write people off. We've got to stop it. We've got to quit it. We've got, we got to make sure that we understand, listen to this, that weaknesses do not determine people's worth. We are his creation. Because how we see people is how we see God. You see, the Father's heart allows me to pray for people who hate me or who have done me wrong. You see, I had this revelation the other day. When, when you're the pastor, when you're around a lot of people, our church is a large church. You know, sometimes things happen where criticism comes your way. People are, are, are harsh towards you. They, they say some really hurtful things. And I, and I was reminded of this the other day. I was praying about a situation And God began to put this revelation in my heart. He was like, you know, sometimes our idea is like, God, we can pray like this. God, I hope they get what they deserve. You see them. Look at, they're just, what they did was terrible. That's not good. And I was praying. I was asking God, Lord, I want to have your heart. And God says, okay, if you want to have my heart, then you need to understand that everybody that is around you, that I have hold them in high value. And that guy or that girl or that lady or whoever it is that, that, that maybe has gone around and spread false rumors about you, I still have plan, purpose, and vision for their life. And so, Todd, here's how I want you to pray. I want you to pray, God, would you... Lord, fulfill your will and your purpose in their life. When God talks about praying for your enemies, this is the heart he wants. God, will you bless them? God, will you help them? Lord, where where things are out of order and alignment, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. Would you make the adjustments? And even sometimes, God, would you have mercy upon them for the poor choices that maybe you think that they're making? God, would you help them? You know, it's like Abraham when he prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. God, is there just some, if there's anything good, would you preserve it? Would you save it? We need God's heart. You see, on this Father's Day, I'm believing this, that that we want, we should desire for God's heart to be inside of us. God wants to put the Father's heart towards other people inside of us. We've been talking for the last little over a month about heart transformation inside matters, that God's desire is that we would have his heart for people. That we'd be so quick to forgive other people. That we would believe that people can change and be transformed. Don't give up. If you're seeing people in your world that are just have not changed, God wants to give you that enduring faith. But we also need to make sure that we don't devalue people. We don't devalue who people are. It doesn't mean that we accept bad behavior. It doesn't mean that we don't challenge people that are walking and living in in, in wrong places, but it shouldn't change the fact that we, we do it out of a heart of love and grace and saying, God, I'm praying for you to change and transform situations that are not good. I believe Jesus is here today. 
And I believe our desire should be, Jesus, we want to be more like you. Put your heart inside of me.